This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and our guest today is Sam Kennedy, the president and CEO of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Chris and I did the uh, interview together. Chris, how are you? I am great. Sam, also known as my boss. (laughs) Right. This interview had to go well or else I might have been on the breadline. So hopefully (laughs) he found it to be a well use of his time. Oh, it was. Uh, I thought the interview turned out great. It was, um, it was half an hour, which uh, we were hoping for longer. But he's got, you know, he's running the Red Sox in the middle of a pandemic and one of the major leaders in Major League Baseball. And he's like, "Hey, guys, I got a call that I got to jump on." We're like, "Yeah, whatever you need." Right? Yeah. No, the fact that he even found time in his schedule just speaks wonders to who he is as a leader to make absolutely to make in like you said to have. A half hour carved out um, and adjusted it on our timetable, too, because we had to move it based on last week. So <laughs> amazing that he was able to provide the guidance he did. And he's and as I told you, Sam is just a wealth of knowledge and loves to talk about these things. So all we had to do was ask him a few questions and he just ran with it. And it was solid gold for anybody who out there needs to learn how what it takes to be successful in our business. He, he gave everyone the roadmap. He absolutely did. In all honesty, I took I try to take some stuff away from these interviews. There was one line that he says in here, and he was like, I felt like he was speaking to me. And he was talking about, um, I said, we asked him about Larry, what did Larry teach you? And it was something about reading the document, because uh, Larry was a lawyer, yep. Larry Lucchino. Uh, he would read the document, know the document. Sometimes salespeople can you know, not be the most attentive to detail. And I felt like, He's just talking like, hey, Rob, read the damn contract more closely uh, because you are not the most attentive to detail person in the whole history of the world. Well, the amazing thing about Sam and his career path, outside the fact there's a couple of fun tidbits that he started his career with the Yankees, which most people probably don't know. And then also dating back to his childhood friendship with Theo back in high school, how these guys end up working for the Red Sox and breaking the curse together is just, I mean, things that you would only dream of as a Boston kid growing up. But, I mean, just Sam's career path, starting in sales and learning from Larry and being able to translate that into now becoming the president and CEO of the Red Sox and Family Sports Management, it's, it's literally, this was put on a silver platter for everybody out there who is trying to find their way in our business with Sam telling you exactly what you need to do and how to be prepared to talk to him or you or I when you have an informational interview. This was a fun one. Like you said, it's great hearing from him and also some really cool stuff behind the scenes with Krasinski and the some good news. Yeah, he he provided a lot of great information and uh, so thankful for his time. Appreciative of it. I uh, enjoyed this is our first time doing an interview together, right? 
I think so, yeah, because we've only done like breaking people's souls when we, we had more <laughs> <laughs> right when we talked but, to other people with advice, but this was our first interview together. Right. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it was great. And uh, enough of us talking. Uh, please enjoy Sam Kennedy, the president and CEO of the Boston Red Sox. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. I am here with uh, Chris Valente. Chris, hello again. Hello, Rob. Uh, and Chris, we've got uh, a guest, another guest today. Uh, our guest today is Sam Kennedy, President and CEO of the Boston Red Sox. Sam, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks, Rob. Great to be with you. And Chris, great to be with you as well. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It is uh, an absolute pleasure. We're so thankful for, uh, for you to join us today. So um, let's get started. You know, you were a Trinity College grad, uh, and, uh, and then you go and you intern for the New York Yankees. You want to talk a little bit about your early days, uh, your college kind of days, and your early days as uh, you're starting your sports career, interning with the Yankees, and then kind of selling advertising with uh, you know, the WFAN and WABC and kind of those early days that uh, got you started? Yeah, well, I'd start off by saying we all make mistakes uh, along the way. So going, going down to New York and working for the Yankees was just something that uh, I had to do, uh, even though I was a, a Boston uh, kid born and, born and bred. Uh, actually, the, the irony is um, I was so fortunate to get uh, a summer internship in 1993 with the Yankees. Um, as you mentioned, I had been a, uh, a Trinity College student, and um, I was very aggressively pursuing sports and specifically baseball internships, and hard to believe the days before the internet, before email, before cell phones even. And so it was the, uh, the, the, the way that you had to pursue opportunities was writing letters and, and, and trying to figure out how to connect with people. And I was incredibly blessed to have uh, a few uh, friends and, and mentors who suggested, you know, writing letters to um, the, the people at the top of the organization because usually those are the um, the leaders that that actually take the time to uh, follow up and, and pay it forward, kind of the way you guys are paying it forward with this uh, this podcast. So, anyway, I wrote uh, every uh, team uh, owner, uh, team president, team general manager. Organizations were much smaller back then. It was harder to find uh, contacts and mailing addresses and spellings of names to put together an appropriate cover letter and uh, a resume, which you know at that point consisted of uh, a couple of summer jobs working at uh, camps and things like that. So I, I clearly wasn't very impressive, but I was very, very fortunate. I, I sent all these letters out, and I was really encouraged and motivated by uh, all the responses I got back. Now, 95% of them were rejection letters, but just to get a letter back showing that someone took the time to care and respond to uh, some random college kid looking to break in the business was really encouraging. And then I did get back this letter uh, one one uh, winter day in, in Hartford, Connecticut, from the Yankees, and um, it, uh, it it 
stated that I should call uh, Jack Lawn, who is the chief operating officer of the organization, and uh, to have a, a phone interview. And that went well. And then I was fortunate enough to have an in-person interview. And that was it. That was the big opportunity. And, and it started by picking an industry that I was passionate about, knowing what I, what I wanted to try and do in my career, and, and going after it with everything I had. And very, very blessed that uh, the Yankees granted me that, that internship. And I kept going back there summer after summer, uh, which was a little non-traditional. Uh, the sports business was not as popular or as developed as it is today. Um, they were relatively small front offices, 50, 60 people, whereas today we have several hundred uh, men and women that work in the organization. Uh, but I was able to go back each summer and, and through that network and make contacts. And that led me uh, to getting a, a full-time job, which was, of course, coming out of college. You're looking for a full-time job and health benefits and all those things. So uh, my opportunity came with the Yankees flagship radio station, WABC, uh, and selling advertising and airtime. And that uh, took me through a contact over to WFAN to do even more sports advertising and marketing. Um, and then, of course, uh, took a, a major left turn and went all the way out to San Diego because the radio business taught me two incredible things. One, uh, I, I knew I, I, I wanted to uh, be in a revenue-generating sales position early in my career, uh, but it also told me that I did not want to be in the radio business long-term if I could be in the front office of a team. So uh, I focused on that and was able to parlay a sales job in, at WFAN into a sales job with the San Diego Padres in 1996. So uh, long rambling uh, answer to your question, but uh, I made several moves early on that um, were, I was very, very fortunate to uh, get in and then use my contacts and resources to, uh, to, to stay in the industry, which is always um, difficult. So your next one, you, you head over, like you said, you head over to the Padres, which the uh, president CEO was the one and only Larry Lucchino, uh, and you started as a, like an account executive. Um, but what are some of the, as you got closer and closer to Larry, what are some of the traits uh, and qualities uh, that resonated with you, with Larry, that you still uh, utilize today? Well, there's just so many. I mean, Larry is obviously, uh, he's a Red Sox uh, Hall of Famer and um, a San Diego Padres uh, Hall of Famer, Baltimore Orioles Hall of Famer. Um, you know, he should be should be in Cooperstown, in, in my view. Obviously, I'm biased, but um, so many qualities and traits that he had that, that resonated. Uh, chief among them, I'd say first and foremost, was work ethic. I mean, it's a classic. Um, he led by example. So he was the hardest working person in our front office out in San Diego, and the same held true when we came to Boston. Um, he just set the example by, uh, by outworking his competition, whether it was teams in the American League East or his competitors at, at Major League Baseball, uh, executives with other teams, just incredible work ethic. Um, the other thing that uh, we try, all of us in management, try to emulate was his um, 
uh, ability to uh, surround himself with a great team, uh, relying on the collective wisdom mantra as opposed to individual uh, leadership. He, he really believes in that and uh, values opinions and input from all different parts of the organization, from interns on up to ownership and, and soliciting ideas and listening to wild and crazy ideas and trying to distill them down into actionable items. He's always been been great at that. Um, you know, the other thing is at his at his core, he's a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I grew up in a sales sort of revenue generating capacity. Um, but one of the most important things he ever taught me. It sounds simple, but it's so important. Uh, is the, the concept of reading the document and making sure that if you're talking about an issue, you better have command of it. You should understand it and actually read the words because every word matters. And I think that. Um, that really applies to the sports business, um, especially for those of us who grew up in a sales capacity. You might not always be as focused on the details or what a document actually says, but I've found that that's really, really helpful and powerful as you uh, try and negotiate deals and, and um, make sure you're creating a win-win situation if you really understand the rules of the road and the framework of the issue in advance. So um, that, and then the, the last thing is just this uh, this concept of um, being in the yes business, and just because uh, just because something hasn't been done before or it may seem a little non-traditional, doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it as an opportunity or as an idea. Um, and having that type of mentality and attitude in a more sort of traditional business, I think, is what really set Larry apart. And we try to make that a part of our culture here uh, in, in Boston at Fenway as we've been together now nearly 20 years. So, Sam, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. I who grew up obviously rooting for a team, as you can imagine, down there. And since I've come up to Boston and worked for the Red Sox and received two World Series rings, and my family has let me know that I, my brother is now an only child and will be only one person. <laughs> so there's that side, too. And you're hungry for more, right, Chris? Want, you're hungry for more. <laughs> give, me, give me all the rings. I don't. I have to fill them up with fingers. So... Uh, and people ask me all the time, how did you do it? Because I mean, I, my idol was Don Manley and growing up down there as a Yankee fan. But it comes back to culture and people and who you work with is, is extremely important in our business, more so actually than who you work for. And obviously, since you've moved into your role as CEO and president of the Red Sox and Fenway Sports, you've, like you said, you've had a pretty sales path orientation and, and a great mentorship along the way. But you've faced some challenges in your role since you've taken over. What has been the biggest surprise or misconception about being the CEO or president of the Red Sox or Fenway Sports? Well, you know, when you, when you grow up in an organization and then ultimately end up leading an organization, it's, it's so helpful because um, it's one thing to take over uh, an organization that you um, – have been a part of for a long time. So you know the culture, you know the players, you know the, the market, the geography, um, the, the outside partners, the sponsors, the ticket holders, the elected officials, people at the league. Um, it's quite another to go to a new city and, and take over an organization and have to get up to speed on a number of issues. So um, there have been a number of issues and challenges that we faced in our 19 years here in my five years as president and CEO, a number of challenges, a lot of high highs, uh, a lot of low lows. It sort of goes with the territory. You're 
some years you're winning the World Series and, and other years you're, you're not and you're having to make really hard decisions um, on the baseball side, on the business side, in the community. Um, so it's, uh, it, it really is, is amazing, but you're so much more prepared for it when you have an amazing team uh, of people that you're working with every day when you're familiar with the organization. Um, so it's not, uh, it's not as if there were too many surprises um, that have come in, but I, I, I do think um, a, a few things that, that uh, come to mind are the, the biggest uh, challenge to overcome or, or hurdle, I guess you could call it a surprise, is that you lose the ability uh, to play offense if you're not careful to use a sports analogy. Um, you, what I love about being in a, a revenue-generating role uh, or in a sales-facing role uh, is the ability to play offense and go out and make things happen. And when you're leading an organization, CEO of any company, any business, any nonprofit, um, any leadership position, you're ultimately dealing with a lot of problems and playing, solving problems and, and, uh, and playing defense. And so I think you need to be very careful to not just get caught up in that defensive posture and you need to position the organization for growth and success. And so that's probably what I'm most proud of uh, over the last four or five years. We've really pushed the Red Sox and Fenway Sports Management and Fenway Sports Group Boston uh, to new levels in terms of different uses for the ballpark with our concert series and college football games and um, outdoor ice hockey and Irish hurling and the, the list goes on and on. And uh, we're now working on getting into the music business in a major way with a new um, uh, music hall uh, at Fenway Park. And so just lots of uh, different uh, things, new and different ways to enhance Fenway and keep pushing because when you've been in a business a long time, 19 years, you have to keep things fresh and keep pushing new ideas and creating vision for the employees and, and for the region. Uh, so that's that's something that um, I think people would be surprised by is you you if you're not careful you can drown in the a defensive posture by just worrying about the the problems of the day and not taking time to think and imagine and create about what can can happen in the future and how you can adjust to the market conditions around you. One of the things you just talked about playing offense and one of the biggest changes I think that made was in sports was the creation of FSM and FSG uh, and you were on the front lines of that in the early days 2003-2004. Can you take us uh, behind the scenes a little bit about what the early days of FSM and FSG were like and um, now that you've seen the behemoth that it is, did you ever wildly imagine it would be as big and as prominent uh, as a business entity as it is today? Well, we were, we were very fortunate and blessed to have um, uh, an entrepreneurial culture and spirit throughout. Uh, you know, John Henry, Tom Werner, Larry Lucchino are uh, at their core uh, visionaries and, and business leaders who have been involved with all sorts of different businesses. Um, and, and so you have to have, you can't do, do these types of things in management unless you have the vision 
and leadership from the top. And uh, John Henry really pushed uh, Larry and, and me and others in management back in 2003 and four to start thinking about new and different ways to add value and, and create opportunities for members of management, create opportunities for the ownership group. Um, shortly after winning the World Series in 04, we realized how blessed we were with this incredible platform, uh, incredible fan support. And so that led us to start dreaming up, you know, what could be next. And that led us to uh, the creation of Fenway Sports Management to, to go out and pursue different ideas. Uh, so we brought in some, some leaders from the outside, people like Mark Lev and, and Billy Hogan, who had been in the sports business but not necessarily in baseball. We started to examine uh, different areas like the world of golf, and that led us to Jay Monahan, who the time was running the PGA Tour event in Boston, and so we've, we collectively partnered on the creation of FSM, and uh, that led us to NASCAR, and led us to uh, Boston College, and uh, representing certain properties, getting into the consulting world, making investments uh, into real estate, uh, into the music space. Um, ultimately, our largest acquisition came in 2010, uh, Liverpool Football Club, um, and so it's just been it's been incredible, and again, that that tone and culture um, was set from the top. We didn't get into the Red Sox front office um, or into baseball uh, 20, 25 years ago thinking that we would build a sports and entertainment uh, powerhouse necessarily, uh, but I think that John Henry and Tom Werner uh, did, uh, and they've uh, you know seen they had a lot more experience, obviously, than we did when we came to Boston, um, so the first mission one was, was winning the World Series and, and turning the Red Sox front office around, uh, but then it was, all right, what else can we do with, with this incredible ownership group and this great platform, uh, and, and where can it take us next? And, and we're only limited by our imagination, and so it's, it's really cool to work uh, in, that, in that environment. I think that's the best thing about being a part of Fenway Sports Group, is that there's sort of this mentality and culture and attitude that we can we can really take on any project that uh, we put our minds to so sam you you talked earlier about when you're early in your career you were reaching out to the top executives by sending letters and obviously it's become much easier to do through linkedin and email a lot of the folks that are listening are, are trying to figure out like what to do right now being that obviously our sports uh organizations are all facing our, our toughest challenge probably in a long time and Networking for them seems to be somewhat of a on the back burner, even though we've been Rob and I have been encouraging folks to to, to reach out more now than ever. Um, and I, we obviously get no shortage of people trying to talk to us and get our and pick our brains. And I know you do as well, and you're very generous with your time. But for if you're someone young out there and you're getting an opportunity to speak to a president, CEO, vice president of an organization, what are some of the ways that they should be thinking about standing out from the crowd? Because Coming with the generic one-liners and, 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 and so forth usually is just like a random conversation that you might just brush off, but what can people be doing to say, wow, I need to keep in touch with this person or they need to talk to more people in my organization because that's who needs to work here? Yeah, I think the uh, it's a great question, and uh, I think a lot about it, have thought a lot about it over the last uh, couple decades because uh, it's really, really hard. I mean, that is the hardest time in your career when you're when you're trying to get in and trying to carve a path. Um, the most important 
thing, I think, is more uh, tactical than strategic, really, and that's uh, specifically uh, offering the person that you're reaching out to uh, two things. One, um, your exact keen specific interest uh, within a sports organization. Do your homework. Do your research. Um, the more generic the inquiry, the less likely for success because uh, people like you guys who are running areas of your businesses, um, you just don't have time as the most precious commodity. So to the extent that you can be very specific and let Rob Crane or Chris Valenti know, look, I, I, I'm uh, an accounting uh, undergrad at, in college and, and I, I feel that I can immediately add value to an organization in the finance department, even if you want to be a general manager or a team president, it doesn't matter. You've got to get in the door. You have to be able to offer something of value to the people that you're reaching out to. So be as specific and detailed as possible with how you see yourself fitting within an organization through an internship program, through an hourly position, through a part-time position. It's all about getting in the door and, and then making, creating your own opportunities from there. Um, and, and so that's really important. And then the next thing is you need to be totally flexible um, and willing to do whatever it takes. I say this to people all the time. It's so true. You really are better off, and, and Chris, I think you said it well, you, you're better off working with an organization that may have less notoriety or less of a big brand name if there are good people there. You want to try and find an organization that promote mentorship and, and, and leadership development. And you, you, you may find, you know, you may live in New York today, but you may find that organization in Kansas City, Missouri, or in Dallas, Texas, or Chicago, Illinois, and you have to be willing, uh, or, or, or London, England, or Manchester, England, you have to be willing to go wherever, whenever, to take advantage of that opportunity. And I know that there are economic restraints that people have, but I'll tell you, that's not an excuse. I had economic restraints uh, on me when I was breaking in, and what I did was I worked as a, a bar back in New York City uh, late at night. I worked at driving a limousine in New York City while I was in ad sales. Um, so, you know, y you can work two, three, four jobs if you have to piece it together. Um, you have to make that sacrifice early on, and, and once you can get in and get a full-time job in sports, maybe you can start to peel back and scale back from those other those other jobs, but sports does not pay a lot um, generally, and it's worth it because it's a great, great, great career if you're passionate about it. But you you have to understand that there are many, many sacrifices that you need to make to get in, not just financial within the organization, but you also need to uh, be willing to do more outside of uh, a quote-unquote hourly job or internship. Uh, everyone needs to do it um, for the most part, and, and so that's something you have to be willing to do. I think you nailed it right on the head. We, that's what Rob and I always try and tell the young folks is it's, there's, it's sounds and glitz and glamorous from the outside until you get in, and, and when you're in there, you really have to be that person who's willing to do anything. And one of the things that happened this past week within our own organization, which we, is, a good, I think, a good way to segue into this because I think some people need some good news and some positivity right now, was the power of sports and giving back, right? So what, what we did with some good news and Krasinski, I mean, 
that was amazing. And as an employee of the organization, it makes me proud to be able to say that we're able to do those things. And we always instill people like, look, there's a good answer of why you want to be in our business because then you have the ability to create experiences for folks like that. So how did that come together? I mean, that seemed like it came together overnight. I know I know kind of the backstory, but I know you were more at the forefront of it. So how did that all come together? Yeah, well, I think you're exactly right. These are the types of things we have the ability to to be a part of, and and whether it's you know coming out of um, uh, 9/11 or the the economic collapse in 2008, or dealing with uh, with a global pandemic like we're we're doing right now, obviously sports is is uh, irrelevant compared to the magnitude of those societal problems or issues um, but what's great about sports is it can provide a little bit of a, um, a sense of relief or or uh, a sense of healing uh, in a very small way but nonetheless it's it's cool to be associated with brands and uh, teams and venues that, that can provide that relief so um, it was really cool uh, John is a is a local guy. Went to um, uh, my rival high school here in Boston, and um, we got to know each other a, a couple years ago. And and he he just sent me a text on Tuesday and said, "Hey, call me. I have an idea." And he, he's a he's a special guy. He's a creative force, and um, he's got an amazing heart. And he he wanted to try and figure out a way to honor the sort of frontline healthcare workers and. Um, he deserves a hundred percent of the credit. He he had this whole thing in his mind about um, saluting nurses and doctors who are dealing uh, with coronavirus right now and giving them a little bit of relief coming off of a, a long shift or an overnight shift. And um, the idea was to was to get some of our players involved and to uh, get uh, the, the elected officials involved and the team involved. To, to salute them and, and have them um, uh, not only get a gift from David Ortiz or a, a prominent Red Sox player, um, but to give them a special experience. So uh, we brought them up to Fenway, and uh, they threw out the quote-unquote ceremonial first pitch for the season. And um, it, look, it's a perfect example of it's an idea. Um, I, I know for a fact because he shared some some conversations that this is something that uh, would not be possible in other markets. I'm not gonna not gonna name names, uh, but he he, uh, he 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 couldn't he couldn't believe that we would. Um, work with the governor, work with the mayor, work with Cindy Brown at the duck boats, get the president of the hospital involved, and pull this thing together in 48 hours. And that, that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with Sarah McKenna and True Parkinson and Adam Grossman and Jonathan Galula and Steph Manikis and the team of people. Literally, we started talking at 7 o'clock. 7:30 Tuesday morning, um, and by 10 o'clock we had the whole game plan and we had everybody raring to go because that's the kind of attitude and culture uh, that we've built here in Boston over the last 20 years. And um, and now I just knew this was such a good idea that we would get the team together to pull it off and also add ideas and and really get behind it in a major way. Sarah McKenna was the one who had the idea for the duck boats and and worked with the state of Massachusetts to get them a one-day license given the shutdown. So there's a lot of things that went into it, but in the end, it was incredibly rewarding. And to your point, uh, uh, just a great example of of the power of, of sports and the impact that it can have on people's lives. 
I'm not going to let my wife listen to this because she's told me the one person that she'd leave me for is John. So she knows you, you, have, <laughs> you have a cell phone number. She might be the one sending you a note looking for his number. So she's he, not listening he's to ama- It's amazing how, uh, how, how popular a guy he's become. I, I, uh, I had no idea until a couple years ago he was at a game, and my kids went crazy because I guess the office has uh, – Really reemerged on uh, on demand with with uh, teenage uh, kids, and so he's popular with everybody, uh, men, women alike, all different ages. And you know what's cool about him is he's uh, just a, a really genuine, special, uh, nice, nice person. Hey Sam, one uh, one last thing before you go, because I know you got a, a call to cap on, uh, catch. Uh, is you just talked about how John Krasinski went to a rival high school. Can we just talk quickly about one of your classmates, uh, which is the one and only Theo Epstein? You guys work together in San Diego, obviously in, in Boston. Can you just talk about uh, that relationship quickly? Yeah, Theo and I went to uh, went to Brookline High together, and actually played little league baseball against each other. Our dads are, are good friends and, and um, still are to this day, both of our parents. And uh, actually his twin brother, Paul Epstein, uh, was probably an even closer friend in, in, in high school. But Theo and I worked together for Larry Lucchino at the Padres. He hired both of us. He actually hired Theo and the Orioles when I was at the Yankees. And then we, we reconnected out in San Diego. Um, we're very, very, very different people. Um, he's obviously a lot smarter than I am. He went to Yale. I went to Trinity and he reminds me of that all the time. But um, we're, we're, we're incredibly close, even though we're very, very different. I think just because we've shared so many experiences together, uh, the, the high highs and low lows that I mentioned um, in Boston together, and then uh, the whole Chicago experience for him has been incredible. And uh, it's amazing. He's been gone from the Red Sox now um, as long, you know, almost as long as um, we've been here, um, you know, post his departure. So <clears throat> roughly half of my Red Sox career, it was, was working with Theo and sort of the baseball ops uh, plan that uh, he uh, put together. And, and now we've lived through uh, significant change. And, and it's been fascinating to, to, to watch that and experience that. But we still talk just about every day. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have different perspectives because he's been so focused on the baseball side of things. And I'm so focused on the business side of things. In the end, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is win uh, first and foremost, add value, um, so on and so forth. But he's just uh, someone that I really rely on and, and count on. We we get into it. We argue. Uh, he's got a different perspective on a lot of things, given he's uh, he's essentially on the on the cost side of the business and I'm on the revenue side of the business. And he'll be the first to tell me that he's actually on the value creation side of the business. Yeah. So we, we like to do, we, we like to argue and debate about that but he's he's a great leader obviously a first ballot hall of famer and um it'll be fun to watch uh his career as it continues to to develop but what's great is when we get together it's honestly it's like we're back in 1989 1990 and and just laughing about some of the stupid stuff that we did together that's what good friends do, argue and then laugh about the good old days. So uh, <laughs> Makes me sound old. 
<laughs> no, I'm with you. I do. We do the same thing. Uh, Sam, we know you. I've got a jam day. We're so thankful that you took the time to uh, to join Chris and I. Uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out if there's a volume two of this. But uh, so thankful for your time and, and really appreciate it. So thanks for joining us here on Front Office Features. Thanks, Sam. Well, Rob, Chris, thanks, guys. Great to be with you. We'll definitely do do volume two. Look forward to it. Stay safe and and healthy. You too. All right, guys. Be well. Thank you. Bye, Sam. <laughs>